You're going to see something with these ballots. You're going to see corruption like you've never seen. You're going to see a rigged election. This guy would do anything. <laughs> Are you talking to yourself again, Mr. President? I thought well, so. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. You know it is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, we're talking about you, Ohio, today. On WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. Yeah, we're talking Wisconsin, too, today. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Well, Desi Doyen, we (laughs) finally have something to thank Donald Trump for. Okie dokie. Seriously. Game to hear what that might be. We do. I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. Okay. We'll start here. For the first time in their 175-year history, Scientific American Magazine has made an endorsement in a presidential election. The venerable Science Magazine endorsed Joe Biden for president (laughs) today. The first time they have ever backed any presidential candidate, noting in their endorsement published in the October issue that, quote, this year we are compelled to do so. We do not do this lightly. And they do not do this lightly. And how many years has it been? 175-year history. Yep. The magazine's editors said they were motivated to endorse Biden after seeing how science has been ignored and politicized by Donald Trump and his administration. They write, the evidence and the science show that Donald Trump has badly damaged the U.S. and its people because he rejects evidence and science. The editors write, the most devastating example is his dishonest and inept response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which cost more than 190,000 Americans their lives by the middle of September. He has also attacked environmental protections, medical care and the researchers and public science agencies that help this country prepare for its greatest challenges. That is why we urge you to vote for Joe Biden who is offering fact-based plans to protect our health, our economy, and the environment. 
The endorsement comes with less than 50 days to go until the U.S. presidential election happens. And as the country juggles multiple crises in addition to the pandemic, including a prolonged economic downturn, catastrophic wildfires on the West Coast, and an intense Atlantic hurricane season, which is about to get intenser. <laughs> Intensier, I was going to say. That's right. <laughs> uh, as we go to air, uh, we've got another massive hurricane heading for the Gulf Coast today. It's the third in as many weeks, and more are already lining up behind it, as we will discuss with Desi Doyne in our Green News Report a little bit later today. Yep. The editors uh, of Scientific American magazine absolutely excoriated Trump. I would say uh, his his criminal failure to develop a national strategy to fight the pandemic and that it helped accelerate the spread of the disease across the country and his against his uh, misrepresentation of the facts that have done even more damage to the nation. His lies encourage people to engage in risky behavior, spreading the virus further and have driven wedges between Americans who take the threat seriously and those who believe Trump's falsehoods, they write. He has repeatedly tried to get rid of the Affordable Care Act while offering no alternative. Comprehensive medical insurance is essential to reduce illness. Trump has proposed billion-dollar cuts to the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, agencies, they say, that increase our scientific knowledge and strengthen us for future challenges. Congress has countermanded his reductions, yet he keeps trying, slashing programs that would ready us for future pandemics and withdrawing from the World Health Organization. These and other actions, they write, increase the risk that new diseases will surprise and devastate us again. Trump also keeps pushing to eliminate health rules from the Environmental Protection Agency putting people at more risk for heart and lung disease caused by pollution. He has replaced scientists on agency advisory boards with industry representatives. In his ongoing denial of reality, they say, Trump has hobbled U.S. preparations for climate change, falsely claiming that it does not exist and pulling out of international agreements to mitigate it. The changing climate is already causing a rise in heat-related deaths and an increase in severe storms, wildfires and extreme flooding. The magazine endorsement concludes, although Trump and his allies have tried to create obstacles that prevent people from casting ballots safely in November, either by mail or in person, it is crucial that we surmount them and vote. It's time to move Trump out and elect Biden, who has a record of following the data and being guided by science. On Tuesday, they tweeted out a link to their endorsement with the text, quote, the 2020 election is literally a matter of life and death. We urge you to vote for health, science and Joe Biden for president. That's a big deal. So I thought you would want to know about it. Uh, late last month, another group of environmental folks uh, also endorsed Biden for president, as Reuters noted at the time. I think we referenced this in one of our Green News reports. Yes, yes we did. But it can't hurt to note it again. The Blue-Green Alliance, which is a coalition of large U.S. labor unions and environmental groups, endorsed Democrat Joe Biden for president 
in late August, saying he has put forward achievable plans to tackle climate change and the health and economic hits from the coronavirus pandemic. It was the first time the group has backed a candidate for public office in its 14-year history, Reuters reported at the time. Blue-Green Alliance's labor members include the United Steelworkers, the United United Workers Union of America, the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters, and four other unions. And the environmental members of the group include the Sierra Club, the League of Conservation Voters, and the National Wildlife Federation. Biden said in a statement, if he wins on November 3, he will bring labor and climate leaders together to, quote, restore America's global leadership by powering our economy with clean energy and building our economy back better. That sounds good. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And and it actually makes economic sense for the labor unions to do this because rebuilding America for climate resiliency and uh, transitioning the entire nation, every building, every electric grid to clean energy is going to be a huge jobs creator. Lots of jobs. Yeah. Biden, for his part, has uh, a $2 trillion proposal to do exactly that, though it would need to be approved by Congress. So, yeah, holding uh, the majority in the U.S. House and most importantly here, winning back the U.S. Senate for Democrats is, of course, important as well. If any of this has any chance of actually happening. Uh, We have been critical of late, uh, both on the broadcast and on the Green News Report, of the media's terrible coverage of the climate crisis and just how important this election is in that regard. Even as the West Coast has exploded with enormous, deadly uh, record fires up and down the entire coast in California, Oregon, and Washington after just two weeks ago, two different hurricanes slammed into the Gulf Coast. And now another one is set to hit in the next 24 hours or so. Hurricane Sally, which is really slow moving, so could really dump a boatload of water into places that are still saturated by the last two storms in an already record smashing storm season. With a crucial election just days away and already, frankly, underway in parts of the country, I talked to a family member uh, who who has already voted in North Carolina. So people are already voting. Uh, You would think with all of this going on at the same time, uh, you would think that one of, if not the greatest existential crises of our time, perhaps of all of humanity, would be covered in a way that voters could use to help them make their decisions actually armed with facts. You would think with all of these disasters, from fires to storms to floods, it would be the perfect opportunity for the corporate media to do exactly that. But of course, you would be wrong. Last month in August, before we even got to the worst fires in September, Media Matters observed that California alone at the time had suffered through two of its largest wildfires in history last month. And there were more than 80 other large active fires at the time burning in 15 states. Record breaking temperatures and climate change, they wrote, were playing a role in the size and scale of those fires. And the coronavirus pandemic was complicating efforts to contain the blazes and safely evacuate those in their path. 
Nonetheless, a review by Media Matters found that those factors were all but ignored in broadcast TV news coverage of the month's wildfires. Not by us, of course. Thank you. <laughs> did I say by the corporate uh, media? Yes, yes, I, you did. Okay. Yes, you did. <laughs> corporate, in fact, corporate broadcast TV outlets, uh, they find ABC, CBS, and NBC aired a combined 114 segments about wildfires on their morning and evening news shows from August 1 to August 31. That's a lot of segments, 114 segments. Just five of the 114 wild segments, that's 4% of them, mentioned climate change. Just five. They note this marks the third year in a row that major corporate broadcast TV news outlets have mentioned climate change in less than 5% of wildfire segments. You know, we always complain that they don't cover climate change. You know, we, we find all kinds of reasons to just bring it up out of nowhere. We don't need a wildfire to report on it. But here they actually have these wildfires, record wildfires, out of control, and they still can't manage to mention it in more than 5% of the segments. Notably, four of the five climate mentions uh, uh, appeared during broadcast morning programs, three of which... We're on the program CBS This Morning Saturday, and they were all noted by CBS meteorologist Jeff Baradelli, Desi's favorite TV meteorologist, <laughs> yes. I think. Is, is yes, that, he is. Is that why? Uh, is that why he's your favorite? He's, he, no, he's just really good. He's very good at explaining, and he has great videos that he puts up. He's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. And he's great at mentioning climate change yes. in stories that are appropriately about climate change. In that was August. So in September then, as the fire and the heat got worse, coverage by the networks and the cable news outlets did not get any better, apparently, according to subsequent analyses from Media Matters. Over the long Labor Day weekend, an explosive fire in the Sierra Nevada and record-shattering heat accelerated the climate crisis unfolding in California. They note the fires this season have already burned more acres than during any other year on record, and there are still several months left in the fire season, they correctly noted. The wildfire media coverage over the three-day holiday weekend and into last Tuesday included Horrifying images, footage, and accounts from those on the ground and awestruck reporters on site and in studios casting around for language that properly conveys the scope and magnitude of what is happening here in California and in Oregon and in Washington. But they note the ample coverage has failed, with some exceptions, to tell the story of why any of it is happening. A Media Matters analysis found that the vast majority of corporate TV news coverage from September 5 through September 8 during the worst of this ignored the relationship between climate change and the California wildfires. Corporate broadcast TV outlets, again, ABC, CBS, and NBC, aired a combined 46 news and weather segments about the wildfires on their morning and evening news shows. Seven. Of the 46 wildfire segments, that's 15% of them, mentioned climate change. So getting better? However, four of those seven mentions were made by one reporter. 
Any idea who that was, Desi Doyen? <laughs> Jeff Baradelli. CBS meteorologist and climate specialist, specialist Jeff Baradelli. Yep. Uh, PBS NewsHour, by the way, they note, outperformed the corporate network programs, as you did as well uh, in a recent Green News report. Yep. Uh, you noted that. I did note that. As well as outperformed, I should yes. say. Um <laughs> They made uh, PBS made the connection between the intense fires and climate change in both of the wildfire segments that they aired. So thank you, PBS, for uh, noting it 100 percent of the time, at least last week. Cable news outlets over the same period, unfortunately, were even worse than the broadcast TV outlets. According to Media Matters, they found that the cable news is frequently ignoring the relationship between climate change and fires, mentioning it in just 13 percent of segments in those same four days over the long Labor Day weekend and uh, then uh, prior to the uh, September 11th last week. The wildfires received over five and, a half cover five and a half hours of coverage across CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. That is a lot of time, five and a half hours. And yet, on the fires themselves, yet CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News largely failed to mention climate change in their coverage of the wildfires at all. Of note, CNN mentioned, the climate cha- mentioned climate change just five times in its 49 segments. That's 10%. While MSNBC connected the fires to climate change in 11 of its 37 segments. Well, that's 30%, so there's that, I guess. I don't know how you report on these fires without mentioning climate change. Well, it turns out it's apparently quite easy. The, uh, they're good at it. Uh, Fox News, of course, only mentioned climate change twice <laughs> in its 54 segments. That would be 4% on the fires. One of those two mentions was Tucker Carlson denying a connection between the two. But hey, at least he mentioned it. MSNBC's Katie Turr, whom uh, Carlson mocked in his segment, (laughs) brought up the climate change connection on every show she hosted throughout the week. Good for her. Good for her. Thank you, Ms. Turr. So this means almost all television news programs have largely reported these historic fires as an isolated phenomenon. They're just who knows why they happen. Too bad. Darn the luck instead of part of the climate crisis that we are now in. So now we get to what we finally have to thank Donald Trump for, Desi. <laughs> okay. Though it's it's actually California's natural resource director, Wade Crowfoot, who I, I think we need to thank here. He actually confronted Donald Trump very politely, urging him to pay attention to the science while Trump was making a cursory Uh, And you could just tell he hated it. He hated being out here. A visit to California on Monday, about a month into the deadly and still worsening crisis. He finally showed up. He sort of had to because he was planning to go to Nevada for a couple of election rallies. So uh, he, I think, ran out of excuses to not show up here. Yeah, and he'd been criticized for not mentioning the fires at all. For weeks, weeks 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 on end. So Trump responded ridiculously to Crowfoot, uh, claiming that that climate change would just cool down all on its own, just like the coronavirus will just disappear by itself someday. 
And he also said that science does not know what it is talking about. Yeah, he actually said that, which we will cover in the GNR a little bit later on the show today. But because Trump said that, now the news media is finally able to talk about climate change, I guess, to report that, to report that idiotic comment that he made. It seems like only when a denier speaks up do we get to try and inform the public uh, at least the corporate media inform the public about one of the greatest existential threats humanity has ever faced. And all of this just days away, days before the most critical election in our nation's history. So thanks, Donald Trump. And no thanks, corporate media. You still suck. <laughs> and you're still killing us. So thank those of you who support at least our work here via bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Otherwise, there are some in this country who would never hear about any of this, despite the fact that the media's constitutionally protected job is to inform the electorate so that the electorate can make smart decisions at the ballot box based on what is actually going on in the world. So we will keep doing our uh, our best, uh, the best that we can, if you can help us on that score. And speaking of elections, well, we got a bunch of election and voting news next for you on the broadcast right here. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. It's not easy being green. <laughs> nope. Having to spend its day in the car. Not easy being green, especially in the state of Wisconsin right now, it seems. Um, which. Uh, well, all right. Let's uh, let's let's get to our still growing mountain of election news here. Starting with some good news. Actually, you'll be happy to know that most of today's election news is anywhere from good to not entirely terrible for the most part. So not horrible. Yeah. Okay. Did Low I say, bar. Did I? Uh, well, we got. Well, you know, that is what it is. It is what it is. Did I say this is the Bradcast? I'm Brad Friedman from uh, Bradblog.com. You just did. Okay. Uh, anyway, last Friday we told you about the awful, corrupt right wing. Wisconsin State Supreme Court's partisan 4-3 decision to order the state's nearly 2,000 different municipalities. They run elections in Wisconsin. They run elections largely by town or city instead of uh, by county, per se. Well, uh, to the, the uh, court there, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, ordered all of those officials to immediately stop sending out absentee ballots to voters until they determine if the Green Party ticket 
should be added to those ballots after the state election commission had already found that the party did not qualify because they had screwed up their petitions, essentially, using two different addresses for the vice presidential candidate. And then they waited about two weeks before filing suit to complain about not being allowed to get on the ballot. But by then, some 380,000 ballots had already been mailed out and the state's election officials uh, begged the court to not force them to go back and redesign and reprint and retest millions of ballots and send them out because state and federal deadlines are this week to start getting those uh, those absentee ballots out. So they said there would be no time, not to mention the chaos that would be caused for voters who received two different ballots in the mail for the same election. But because the four to three right wing state Supreme Court is corrupt in Wisconsin and right wing, well, they ordered clerks to stop everything last Friday until the court had time, more time to review the Green Party's case, which brings us to today's good news. On uh, Monday, Monday night, one of the so-called conservatives on that court found a conscience and did the right thing. As Washington Post reports, the Wisconsin Supreme Court on Monday ruled that the Green Party presidential ticket is ineligible to appear on the state ballot, which was a relief for state and local election officials who feared an addition at this late date would upend election preparations in the state. The state that Donald Trump uh, is said to have won, by the way, by less than one percentage point back in 2016, and where the Green Party candidate at the time, Jill Stein, received more votes than Trump's reported margin of error over Hillary Clinton. The decision from the uh, Badger State High Court comes after the Wisconsin Election Commission declined back in August to put uh, presidential contender, Green Party presidential contender Howie Hawkins and his running mate, Angela Walker, onto the November 3rd ballot because their signature petitions featured two different addresses for Walker. It was a technicality, but it was the state law. State election officials had argued that the campaign failed to fix that discrepancy according to state requirements. And they had time to do so. They were given time to do so, but they, they didn't. Now, they say they did. But they say that now that there's a court case. Now, as uh, Bradblog.com's legal analyst Ernie Canning summarized the, uh, the, the uh, decision last night after the ruling came in, he said by way of a four to three decision with one Republican flipping essentially to join the Democrats, the Wisconsin Supreme Court vacated their earlier temporary injunction on submitting vote-by-mail ballots to the voters and ruled that the Green Party delayed for too long in seeking to challenge a denial of their alleged right to place president and VP candidates on the November ballot and validated the ballots that had already been sent out to voters before the previous injunction had issued. So now, as the Post reports, cities and towns can get back to, you know, work on mailing out ballots to more than one million Wisconsin voters who have so far requested them. 
The uh, clerk of Dane County, the home of Madison, wrote in a text message shortly after the decision to the uh, Washington Post, I am very happy that the Supreme Court respected the difficult job we have as election administrators. Their voters will get their ballot in a uh, uh, timely manner so that they can vote safely, said Scott McDonnell. In its 4-3 ruling with one conservative, so-called Brian Hagedorn, Voting with the liberal majority, the court said that upending the election was one reason it denied the Green Party's appeal. The majority opinion states, even if we would ultimately determine the petitioners' claims are meritorious, given their delay in asserting their rights, we would be unable to provide meaningful relief without completely upsetting the election. Good for them. Uh, Of course, I would expect that from the uh, Democratic appointees on the court. But the fact that uh, this one Republican finally jumped over to do the right thing is no small thing, is is a bit of a surprise, actually. Remember, this is the same state Supreme Court that sent everyone out in the middle of the pandemic last April to vote in person because they refused to extend the uh, the counting deadline, not the deadline for when ballots could show up, but for when they could be counted in Wisconsin. No, they they have to be in uh, by Election Day or they won't count, which meant that a whole bunch of people had to go line up for hours and hours across the state, even during the pandemic, which, you know, ended up closing almost all of the in-person polling places back in April. So uh, they didn't give a damn at the time. I'm glad they've decided to give a damn about avoiding chaos now. At least one of them. And by the way, at least one at least one of them. That's all. And by the way, on that election in April, there was a Supreme Court, a state Supreme Court seat that was up. And in fact, the Democrats, uh, the candidate that the Democrats had endorsed ended up winning, probably, you know, in no small thanks to the fact that. Voters were so ticked off at what the Supreme Court had done. Also in Wisconsin, in a related matter, rapper Kanye West is also fighting in court to get on the ballot in Wisconsin after his petition was denied by the State Election Commission, who said that it came in too late despite an attorney who previously and maybe still works for Donald Trump rushed to get that petition in into the commission before the deadline. She was a few minutes too late, however. Bob Spindell, a Republican member of the Wisconsin Election Commission who voted to allow the Green Party on the uh, on the ballot, said in an interview on Monday that partisan leanings influenced the actions of many of those involved in both the Green Party and the West cases. Spindell said, to be truthful with you, the Republicans wanted West to be on the ballot and Republicans wanted the Green Party to be on the ballot. Democrats did not want the West or Green Party tickets to be on the ballot. But of course, unlike the Republicans in this case, the Democrats on the commission actually had state law on their side when they voted against both. With the partisan state election commission that was recently created by state Republicans to replace the state's uh, previous nonpartisan commission, uh, the three to three partisan commission was deadlocked on at least the Green Party issue. So uh, in the end, neither candidate was approved by the state commission. 
and then uh, both ended up going to court. Republicans were thus hoisted on their own partisan petard, I think, in yeah. creating this partisan commission that was built to deadlock. They set it up that way, and it did exactly what they set it up to do. Well, in this case, yeah, that deadlock meant that these candidates could not be approved. Perhaps they should have thought that through. Uh, but that was uh, before the GOP majority Supreme Court tried, but now failed to save the Republicans and to try to get those candidates candidates, if possible, onto the ticket. Meanwhile, Green Party presidential candidate Howie Hawkins suggested in an interview last week that Trump supporters had helped the Green Party ticket with its legal claim before the state Supreme Court. Are you surprised? The party's petition was filed by attorneys from the Milwaukee-based uh, uh, law firm, which has a history of representing Wisconsin Republicans. Hawkins told The Washington Post when asked whether Republicans had financed the legal action, he said, well, you get help where you can find it. They have their reasons. We have ours. The chairman of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, Andrew Hitt, however, denied any involvement in the effort. We have nothing to do with it. We don't know what you're talking about. A spokesman for the Republican National Committee, however, declined to comment. I wonder why. In Pennsylvania, because of pending litigation over whether the Green Party will appear on the ballot in that state, the Secretary of State has so far been unable to certify the presidential candidate list. So the battles will still continue. Meanwhile, Wisconsin is one of at least five states where the Post has identified Republicans, including activists who had recently voiced support for Donald Trump, working on an effort to put Kanye West on the ballot. As with the Green Party ticket, they report the GOP involvement has raised fears among Democrats that West's candidacy is intended to peel votes from Biden. Well, duh. If Republicans thought they were going to win fair and square in any event, do you think that they would be using resources and lawyers and activists to get two other presidential tickets on the ballot around the country? Especially uh, parties that even if they were put on the ballot could not win the presidency because they could not win enough electoral votes to do so. In the case of Kanye West, uh, a Madison, Wisconsin lawyer and former general counsel for the state Republican Party in, in Wisconsin delivered his ballot petition to state regulators in early August. But the petition was denied on a five to one vote by the state election commission because it had been submitted moments after a 5 p.m. deadline. West challenged that decision in state court, or at least his Republican lawyers did. A judge ruled against him last Friday night, but the decision is expected to be appealed, no doubt, by Republican lawyers. Now, uh, by the way, personally, I have no problem with the Greens. In fact, we've had the last several Green Party presidential candidates on this show a number of times going all the way back to, what, 2004, I think, yeah. uh, including Jill Stein uh, from 2016. Uh, on We had her uh, several times, including on the day that she thankfully attempted after the election uh, to obtain a hand count of ballots in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania after the 2016 election when the Democrats refused to do so themselves, despite how close the computer tallied election results were in all three of those states. And if the Green Party does what they are supposed to do, then they should be included on the ballot. But they did not. Apparently, 
despite the GOP's best efforts to help them. So um, sorry, Charlie. The most important thing here is that yet another attempt by the state's far right wing Supreme Court to create chaos in the Badger state during yet another election has now, at least for the moment, been stopped. I'm sure they will find something between now and Election Day uh, or beyond. But uh, let's move down now and to the right to another nearby battleground state. That would be Ohio, where we've got some, uh, well, some bad news for voters and some largely good news uh, for voters in a follow-up story that we've covered recently out of the Buckeye State. A postage plan for Ohio's mail-in ballots failed to gain approval from Republicans on a key state legislative panel in the state on Monday, a move that reportedly makes it all but impossible at this point for ballots to get stamped by the state in time for the November election, according to AP. The proposal put forward by Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose died in a two to four vote as Republicans on the controlling board opposed approving a three three million dollars from a special fund that would have covered the postage of mail in ballots. LaRose, yes, he is a Republican and um, seemingly doing the right thing here, but don't get too excited about him yet. You'll find out why. <laughs> okay. uh, LaRose argued that the cost was within the law with the with the fund previously being used to cover the costs of voting machines and poll worker training and other election related things. LaRose said a no vote today is a no vote that is over the objection of our bipartisan election officials and over my objection as the state's chief election officer. Sounds good, right? LaRose had called his postage funding proposal. Apparently this was his plan. He called it a, quote, innovative solution that would make, quote, every mailbox a drop box for millions of Ohioans. It was a final effort to address mail-in voting changes needed during the coronavirus pandemic, as previous election changes have stalled in the GOP-controlled state legislature. The decision means Ohio voters will now likely have to buy their own postage if they wish to vote by mail. I would call that a poll tax, but I guess Ohio Republicans have no problem with unconstitutional Jim Crow-like measures. I guess they enjoy them. They want them. They're happy about them. LaRose, uh, the... Uh, uh, said that uh, today was another missed opportunity by the legislature to make a small change without an impact on our state budget that would yield a big improvement to the state's election system. He said that in a statement after the decision. On a side note, according to the Ohio Capital Journal, one of the Republican board members who voted against prepaid postage for absentee ballots, he announced that he tested positive for COVID-19 less than one hour before the Zoom meeting of the controlling board began. Wow. So isn't that nice that he gets to stay at home and vote while legislating, even as he makes it harder for voters to stay at home themselves during a pandemic in order to cast their votes this year? But OK, now as to LaRose, uh, who was apparently at least trying to do the right thing in this case, he is a Republican, and that is a change, uh, a change of pace for him from his recent activities regarding vote by mail, as we discussed on this show, uh, uh, well, several weeks ago now. But now a court 
has stepped in to hopefully force Ohio's Secretary of State to do what he should have done weeks ago. In a setback for the Republicans who have fought the use of ballot drop boxes in battleground states, a court in Ohio has issued an opinion on Tuesday allowing for the expansion of that option, according to Tierney Sneed at TPM. Judge Richard Fry of the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas said that state law permits county election officials to set up absentee ballot drop boxes at locations other than only at the county board of elections. He called the uh, guidance issued by Ohio's Secretary of State Frank LaRose restricting the use of drop boxes elsewhere some weeks ago, quote, arbitrary and unreasonable. LaRose, when he announced the guidance last month, said that he wasn't claimed anyway, that he wasn't opposed to using drop boxes in theory, but that he did not believe that Ohio state law allowed for the drop boxes to be set up in locations other than one per county at the county offices. In fact, what LaRose, what he actually said was that he had reached out to Ohio's Republican Attorney General David Yost for his opinion on the matter, but that he never received a response from him. And so, you know, in an abundance of safety, said, no, let's not get in any trouble. Let's go ahead and only allow them only allow one drop box per county outside the offices of the county boards of election. He wasn't willing to wait for the Ohio attorney general to give him that opinion. That's, he just said, no, no, we've got to stop right now. Well, right. But it had been weeks. And yeah. so I speculated at the time, as did others, that LaRose, the secretary of state, probably did receive a response from the attorney general, but that it was an off the record. Uh, resp- it was something like, yeah, there's actually no, there's nothing in the law that prohibits as many drop boxes as county boards of elections actually want to use. But in order to keep the Republican AG from having to actually write that opinion down and infuriate one Donald Trump. LaRose just instead claimed that, you know, he decided on his own. We can't wait any longer. So I'm just going to give my own opinion that only one drop box per county can be used and, you know, claim that the directive was necessary because we want to avoid lawsuits. Oh, and it just happens to be what the Republicans and the Trump campaign actually wanted because, you know, they're actually suing in Pennsylvania to prevent any absentee ballot drop boxes from being used at all in that key battleground state. The state court lawsuit was uh, brought by the Ohio Democratic Party with the Ohio State GOP intervening in the suit to argue against the expanded use of secure drop boxes for absentee ballots which would be very useful if you don't have a stamp, by the way. Because, you know, Ohio is making voters buy a stamp to vote absentee now. Voting rights groups at the same time filed a federal lawsuit challenging the restrictions on Dropbox use. But there, the Trump campaign itself is trying to intervene in that federal lawsuit to defend the limitations, to keep it at one per county. But despite the state court ruling saying, no, it's perfectly within the law. They can put out as many as they want. Despite that ruling, it's not a done deal. The court has not yet ruled on the preliminary injunction that the Democrats were seeking to block LaRose's directive, limiting the use of drop boxes. Referring to the federal case, Judge Fry noted in his opinion, the secretary has stated publicly he supports additional drop boxes if they are legal, 
Sure he does. And his lawyer represented on the record in the Northern District of Ohio that his client would abide by a state court ruling. It appears, however, that LaRose will not be backing down from the restrictions absent a formal order blocking his guidance. He's waiting for, for the court to tell him he must. LaRose's spokesperson said in a statement, quote, Importantly, while the judge issued a declaration as to the law regarding the return of absentee ballots and drop boxes, he did not rule on the plaintiff's request to enjoin the secretary's directive. In other words, unless he unless the judge orders the secretary to change the directive, which the secretary told the court he doesn't necessarily agree with, the secretary won't change his own directive, even though the basis for his directive was a claim that it might be unlawful to use drop boxes, and now a court has said, no, it is not unlawful. But he's not going to change the directive anyway unless he is forced to by a court. See why I told you to not be fooled by Ohio's Republican Secretary of State, Frank LaRose? Lacking such an order, LaRose's spokesperson said, uh, today's ruling didn't change anything and the secretary's directive remains in place. The law is clear. Absentee ballots must be delivered by mail or personally delivered to the director of their county board of elections and in no other manner. Ohioans, she said, are fortunate that the judicial branch offers the opportunity to appeal a single trial judge's opinion. So even though he says... You know, he'd be in favor of it. Sounds like he's going to appeal. So, yeah, LaRose was really in favor of using those drop boxes, wasn't he? He is a classic Ohio secretary of state. They say one thing to try and fool Democrats that they aren't, you know, rabid partisans. And then they do the complete opposite. The state's current lieutenant governor, John Husted, did the same thing when he served as the state's previous secretary of state. So don't buy it. Don't trust him. But of course, as we always remind you, none of us should ever have to trust any election official when it comes to our elections. Our elections are based on public oversight, not on trust, not on trusting an election official. At least they're supposed to be based on public oversight. That has gotten decidedly harder in recent years with the proliferation of unoverseeable computer voting and tabulation. All right. One more here. Uh, speaking of uh, Republican secretaries of state, before we get to the uh, Green News report, uh, President Donald Trump on Tuesday morning turned the controversy over his deadly indoor super spreader event rally in Henderson, Nevada on Sunday into an opportunity to baselessly accuse Nevada's Democratic governor, Steve Sisolak, of fixing, rigging the battleground state's ballots to rig the election against him. Now, what you need to know here before listening to this clip is that Sisolak's order for the COVID pandemic in Nevada bars indoor gatherings of more than 50 people. And Trump had two planned rallies over the weekend that were to be held at airport hangars until the owners of the hangars learned that thousands of people uh, gathering would be in violation of the state directive. It did not have anything to do with, with Donald Trump or trying to keep him from having a rally. It's just that the state law right now, when it comes to the size of allowable gatherings during the pandemic, ruled out a gathering of that size. And the owner of the airport hangars did not want to risk losing their licenses, so they reneged on their offer to hold the rallies there until Trump was then able to find some other private company who was willing to use, give the use of their facility in violation 
of the state directive to hold this uh, super spreader campaign rally. Uh, even when uh, Governor, which Governor Sisolak uh, slammed as, quote, shameful, dangerous and irresponsible on Sunday night. But Trump said it was just fine. No need to worry because he was, quote, on a stage and it's very far away. So no prob for him, I guess. It's <laughs> only his supporters who may die because of him. Oh, well. Anyway, since Trump and the entire Republican Party at this point does little more than play the victim, whining about everything they don't like as some dark conspiracy against them. Well, here's what we got from Donald Trump this morning during part of his 47 minute phone interview on his favorite show, Fox and Friends, in, in a state about the state that has decided due to the pandemic to send absentee ballots to every active registered voter this year. Now, this is the same guy that's going to be in charge of the ballots, okay? You think that's fair? It's millions of ballots are going out. He's the governor of the state. Do you think it's a fair thing? Because I'm winning that state easily. But the one thing they can't beat if they cheat on the ballots. Now, he'll cheat on the ballots. I have no doubt about it. This is the same man who's in charge of the ballots. So you have the You're unsolicited about the governor. ballots yeah. or the solicitor, the governor. The governor's in charge. He, they followed us everywhere they had a site. My people told me they've never but, seen anything like it. Every place we had a big open site, outdoor right. site, which is great. It would have been perfect. They said no. So we had to go someplace. We ended up in a very big building. But I would have preferred being outside like we were the night before. But the night before, it was amazing that we got it because they were trying to break it up. This is what we're up against. This is what's happening. And it's a disgrace. Right. And you're going to see something with these ballots. You're going to see corruption like you've never seen. You're going to see a rigged election. This guy would do anything. And he's in charge of the ballots. But uh, you have How an attorney you have a general. Governor with that kind is. of a take in charge of the ballots. So you can have millions of ballots. The man that tried to prevent us from getting a site, and he's the man that forced us inside. So, all right, very quickly, because we got to get to GNR here. But as far as easily winning the state, there's a lot of polling. Uh, there's not a lot of polling out of out of, out of Nevada, which uh, Clinton won over Trump by about two and a half points in 2016. But the New York Times latest polling last week has Biden up over Trump by four points. And the real clear politics average has Biden up by six points in the state. As to Trump's repeated claims that Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak is in charge of the ballots in the state, so he's going to rig everything. Well, in fact, in reality, Nevada State uh, Secretary of State Barbara Sagaski, she's a Republican. She oversees and certifies the election results in the state, not the Democratic governor. Trump has tweeted the same accusation uh, late Monday, claimed that Sisolak will use every trick in the book to cheat with the ballots. Well, the Republican secretary of state may beg to differ, but then Trump wouldn't have to anything to play the victim about, would he? No. And again, it's the Nevada secretary of state, not the governor who supervises the election process. This is also amusing, by the way. In in fact, much of Nevada still forces voters at the polls to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So I personally am very happy that all voters in the state will be able to vote on handmarked paper ballots this year, even as I am no fan, at least in non-pandemic years, of vote by mail, except where officials hate voters so much that they force them to vote on unverifiable computer systems. But ironically, for years, Republicans have pretended 
that the voting machines used in Nevada are owned by George Soros. They are not. And that they are controlled by Harry Reid, which is also not true, at least as far as I know. Who knows? They're unverifiable. So you would think that Republicans would be happy about not having to use George Soros's voting machines. But oh well, more fun to play the victim. So they have a nice excuse to challenge the election if they lose. Make it so, Nevada. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. And the Green News Report with Desi Doyen is next. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Even with no guests today, Desi Doyen, I'm still running late, so let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Hurricanes often come with more water than wind. This one has both. Hurricane Sally approaches the U.S. Gulf Coast with more hurricanes on the way. This is a climate damn emergency. This is real. Deadly West Coast wildfires break more new records. Plus... If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? Former Vice President Joe Biden blasts climate denier Trump and urges swift action. All of those blasts and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It'll start getting cooler. You just watch. I wish science agreed with you. (laughs) Well, I don't think science knows, actually. Okay, science doesn't know, but Donald Trump does. Yep, global warming will just go away, just like COVID did. Am I right, 200,000 dead Americans? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get to the absolutely appalling, idiotic, disgusting, latest thing the President of the United States said, we've got uh, another hurricane coming in, don't we? Oh, hell yes, we do. We've got compounding climate disasters, climate change intensified megafires burning out west, a mega drought across the southwest, and Hurricane Sally bringing flooding to the Mississippi Delta, all during a pandemic, straining emergency services everywhere. Other than that, things are going great. Oh, and on Monday, an enormous chunk of Greenland's ice cap broke off in the Arctic, a development that scientists say is evidence of rapid climate change. Things are going very, very well. So first up, the 2020 Atlantic hurricane season is truly historic, fueled by man-made climate change warming the oceans. There are now five storms spinning in the Atlantic, Mm. and that's happened only once before on record since 1850. As we go to air, Hurricane Sally is lumbering toward landfall on the Gulf Coast after rapidly intensifying to a Category 2. The National Hurricane Center warns Sally will bring life-threatening storm surge and flash floods because of its slow forward progress and intense rainfall. I would just like to remind everyone that parts of Louisiana are still suffering from Hurricane Laura. Parts of the state are still without electricity and under boil water orders. Yep. And here we are, another one coming ashore. 
Sally is the earliest S-named storm ever recorded, and so are tropical storms Teddy and Vicky now brewing in the Atlantic. That puts us three weeks ahead of the previous record hurricane season in 2005. Oh, but you know... Science doesn't know what it's talking about. NOAA on Monday announced that this summer in the Northern Hemisphere was the hottest summer in history since record-keeping began in the 1850s, and that August 2020 was the second hottest August globally. Meanwhile, wildfires continue to engulf parts of the West. In California, Oregon, and Washington, wildfires have now burned more than 5 million acres so far this year, a record. At least 35 people have been killed, tens of thousands evacuated, thousands of homes, and even entire communities have been destroyed, and officials warn of long-term contamination of drinking water systems and soil from the fires. The August Complex fire in Northern California is now the largest in state history. It has burned more than a thousand square miles and destroyed half of the Mendocino National Forest. Idaho has now become the latest western state to face evacuations due to wildfire. Climate and forest scientists say man-made global warming is directly responsible for intensifying the fires by dramatically deepening heat waves and drought, plus a century of U.S. Forest Service fire suppression policy. But on a visit to California on Monday to tour the devastation, President Trump blamed the states for the fires, again peddling absurd, repetitive falsehoods that they need to rake their forest floors. When California State Natural Resources Secretary Wade Crowfoot urged Trump to recognize climate science and work with states on solving the crisis, Trump denied it exists. If we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you, wish, just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. He is an idiot and a deadly one at that. In stark contrast, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden rebuked Trump for denying basic science on both the coronavirus and climate change during a speech on Monday in Delaware. Calling Trump a climate arsonist, Biden warned that extreme weather impacts now threaten every state. The costs and the damages will get worse, but it can be solved with urgent action. We can and we will solve the climate crisis. It'll be the greatest spur to job creation and economic competitiveness in the 21st century, not to mention the positive benefits to our health and our environment. Biden has proposed investing $2 trillion in upgrading the nation's infrastructure for climate resilience and to transition the nation to 100 percent clean energy. It can't happen soon enough. Of course, he's got to win first. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. No wasting our time. We have to get out. Thank <laughs> you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with it, with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.
I've made up your 